let's let's get into the message today. We've been speaking on, I've been speaking on winning in spiritual warfare for a few weeks, and we started talking about uh, the schemes of the enemy. I had uh, a bit of an introduction to today's message prepared, but it changed. It changed. It changed last night. It changed again this morning as I saw what's happened just in the last 24 hours in our country. First, in El Paso, in El Paso, Texas. I was looking at that this morning. I wanted to make sure if I mentioned it, I got the numbers right. I think it was 20 dead in El Paso, Texas, uh, in a mass shooting. And I, I went on my computer this morning just to look at that and get the numbers right. And I found out that there was another mass shooting last night, early this morning, in Dayton, Ohio, and another nine people were killed there, and 26 were injured. The thing that I, I heard as well is that the gunman was taken down in less than one minute in Dayton, Ohio. Less than a minute, and in less than a minute, nine people were killed. Less than a minute, 26 were injured by other bullets. Less than a minute, and as we're talking about the schemes of the enemy, he is the one who comes to bring death. He is the one who comes to bring destruction. He is the one who comes to do everything in his power. And we are in a place and in a time where we have to cry out to God for this to stop. And asking God to, to do something. We're praying that the Lord will do this. But the enemy is scheming and he is about murder and death all the time. There's another thing that I read this week uh, that just absolutely broke my heart. I read something about um, a pastor, a very well-known pastor. He wrote a very famous million-selling book years ago. He's written many other books as well. And by his own admission, he, he, he had I had heard a, a little while ago that he was divorcing his wife, but then I heard this week that by his own admission, he says, by any criteria that I would say someone is a Christian, he said, I am no longer a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian. To me, this is grievous stuff. This is the enemy of our souls seeking whom he may devour. And he may devour by a bullet, and he may devour by false doctrines and lies and things that lodge in our heart, but what he wants to do is devour and to kill. And so, yes, I give this message today with a heavy heart. My light-hearted introduction went out the window. I was considering what's going on in these days and time. Let's stand together. We want to read a section of scripture today from Nehemiah chapter 6. And we'll be reading through over the next couple weeks most of this chapter. But I want to start reading today together these first four verses of Nehemiah 6. So Nehemiah 6 verses 1 through 4. Let's read nice and loud together. Nice and loud. Let's read. When word came 
from Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Verse 4. Four times they sent me this same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Amen. We're talking about the subject, winning in spiritual warfare, knowing the enemy's scheme. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you will make each person in this room and anyone who hears this as well keenly aware of the schemes of the enemy in their own life, in their own family. Because God, when we're not aware, we are very, very vulnerable. So Lord God, we pray that as we uh, work through this in the next couple weeks, that you will speak to hearts and you will make us more aware, even as we go through our day, uh, that the enemy is at work, but our God is always on the clock. So Lord God, heighten our awareness of you and defeat the enemy on every hand, Lord God, to the praise and the glory of your name. Now use this time for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Knowing the schemes of the enemy, I want to do a little review from uh, a couple weeks ago when we started this message. I thought I was going to get through the whole thing, and then I realized it's going to take me at least three weeks to do it. But let, let's go a little bit of review. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, uh, Paul says we're not aware, we're not unaware of his schemes, speaking of the devil's schemes. And I asked the question a couple weeks ago, can you honestly say that in your life? That I am not unaware. In other words, can you say, I'm aware of what the enemy's about, of what he's trying to do? And again, by way of review, lacking awareness of the tactics of your spiritual enemies will lead to a life of frustration, a life of powerlessness, a life of ineffectiveness, and ultimately working against the blessing of God, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. So if we are blinded to his schemes, it means that our lives will likely not be fruitful at all for the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the degree that God has called you not only to be blessed, but whenever he calls us to be blessed, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. That is thwarted by our inability to understand what the enemy is up to in our lives. So my prayer is that that will not be the case for us as we grow in the Lord. So I talked about three basic principles last week, quickly by way of, of review. First, warfare principle one, unforgiveness leads to your own bondage. 
In that scripture in 2 Corinthians, Paul is where he says we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. He is talking about the scheme to hold unforgiveness in your heart against others that leads to your own destruction from the inside out. Secondly, we talked about uh, that if you if you're not fighting, you are losing. If you just think you're living the normal Christian slash normal American life, you're just doing your thing in school or at work and in the family, and you're just kind of living life, and you may go to church on Sundays and do a couple of other religious things in the week, but you're just living life. If you are not conscious of the fact that you need to be fighting and are at war, then you're losing already. So that was the second principle that we talked about last week. And then lastly, warfare principle number three, your weakness is your gift from God. This is one we don't often get because we are people that want to be strong. We want to be powerful. We want to know that we can do certain things and that we can stand up and we have the strength. But the scripture tells us over and over again, you don't have the strength in yourself. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need the Holy Spirit. You need God himself to stand up in you, to strengthen you, and to allow you to stop the enemy in his tracks, and not only that, to go and plunder his kingdom for the, by the power of God, not by your own power. And so this is just the introduction to the message. Now, I want to get into Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at seven schemes of the enemy today. We're only going to get to the first three. So the first scheme that I want to look at is deception. Somebody say deception. Somebody say, he's a liar. Tell your neighbor, he is a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. Amen. Let's look at Nehemiah 6, the first three verses. I'll read them again. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the, the doors in the gate, Sanballat and Geshem came to sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great, a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah is in the project. He's been sent uh, by the king with permission to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. They're coming out of captivity. He gets the report that Jerusalem is in tatters and he he asked the king for permission, and he gets permission to go back and to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And as he is about this task, the, the enemies begin to spread rumors and lies and to try to deceive. And they're trying to get him to stop what he's about, to get off the wall, to stop the task. But he says that they were scheming to harm me at the end of verse 2. Listen, brothers and sisters, Everything we're going to talk about in terms of the tools and the tactics of the enemy starts with a lie. Amen? His greatest 
tool. His greatest power is the lie. The lie that he, in so many different ways, weaves into the life and fabric of cultures, of peoples, in all kinds of different ways. Anything that the enemy can do to weave in that lie so that you miss what the Lord is saying. You miss the truth of the Lord. This is what our enemy is about. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus says of the enemy, he is a liar, and some of y'all know this, and the father of lies. When he lies, he simply speaks from his own nature. That's what he does. So we should not be surprised when the enemy comes and lies. And we see this, we've talked about this in this this, uh, 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 sermon series already, the way he lies in the garden in chapter 3, right? And he lies to Eve and says, no, 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 in the day if you eat of that fruit, you'll be just like God. And the Bible says she saw the tree, that it was good for food, and she took some and gave some to her husband. The world is plunged into sin by a lie, by believing that deception. We saw it. In Genesis chapter 6, where the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful or good, and they took some for their wives. We see this is something that God has said, no, you can't have this, and yet they break the boundaries of God. They call good what God called no good, and they plunge mankind into even deeper sin. And I want to look just for a moment at at, at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Many of you know this well, 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the account of David and Bathsheba, and I'm just going to read a few verses from that. 2 Samuel 11, starting at verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. I want you to just think about that for a minute. The Bible says that at the time the kings went to war, that was the normal course of action for kings in the ancient Near East in that day, David doesn't go. He sends out his commander, Joab, and with the whole army. Then it says they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Verse 3. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. We see the same pattern that we saw in Genesis 3, that we saw in Genesis 6. David saw the woman. She saw that she was very beautiful. He uses the same Hebrew word, tov, me'od tov, very beautiful, very good. And then he sent messengers to get her, to take her, just like Eve took from the tree, just like the sons of God took among the daughters of men. Now David sends messengers to take 
Bathsheba. Listen, brothers and sisters, a few things that you need to know out of this. The enemy is always sowing lies that makes something seem good and right to you that God says is not good and right for you. Amen? Amen. He did it with He did it with Eve. He did it with the sons of God in chapter 6 of Genesis. He does it again with David here. And look, David is not where he should be. I don't know if anyone else is like me. I am, my wife will tell you, I am a creature of habit. Is anyone else like that? You kind of set your life, and there's certain things that you do at certain times. I get so mad on my phone now. In the morning, on Monday morning, if I get in my car, it, it tells me how long it takes to go to the breakfast restaurant that I go to on Monday mornings to start my week. How do you know I'm going there? Maybe I'm going somewhere else today. You lying phone. And then I end up at that place anyway. It, tell, it told me this morning how long it would take me to get to New Life Presbyterian Church. Amen. So I am a creature of habit. And one thing I found many years ago that on vacations, vacations were sometimes difficult for me spiritually because I get out of any any good spiritual habits I had because I was on vacation. Amen? But I, I've told this story before. I realized I cannot be on vacation from God. That's not a good vacation. But the reality is this. For many of us, when we get out of our normal routine, we can become exposed to the attacks of the enemy. And so just be aware of that. When envy, jealousy, and greed are deceptions that breed bitterness and lack. Here is David with everything he could ever ask for, everything that could that he could ever want. And when he does not, when he is not about God's business in his life, all of a sudden he sees something else that he just has to have, and it's not from God at all. You've got to be careful of that. So deception, brothers and sisters, can only be overcome by truth. Deception can only be overcome by truth. We have such a thing, I call it identity deception. As believers, we forget who we are. We forget the benefits of salvation. We forget the fact that Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And yet we have believers walking around with guilt, walking around with shame, walking around believing that God is about to step on them, but not understanding that it is covered by the blood. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am who God says I am. Nehemiah knew that. I am about the work of God. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I am who God says I am. And you are who God says you are. John 8.32, most of us, many people here know that verse. The scripture says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When you live in the truth 
and the reality of the gospel that Jesus has proclaimed, that the Bible proclaims, you can live a life of freedom by the truth. And Jesus says in John 16, John 15 and 16, I'm going to send a helper to you. That's the word that it uses in the ESV. The NIV says the advocate, the one who will fight for you, the one who will help you. And he is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. And so as we press into God in the spirit of truth, we are able to glorify God. For much of my life, I've struggled in believing lies about myself that have been sown into me by the enemy that says, you can't do that. You're not good enough for that. Remember what you did before. Why do you think you could ever do that? Those are lies of the enemy that have held me back in so many ways in the course of my life. But I am learning by the grace of God to listen to a different voice. The voice that says, I have set you free. It was for freedom that you've been set free. Freedom in Christ. Freedom to do my work. Freedom to live for me. Freedom to honor God with my life and to make an impact in this world. And that can be true for you as well. We need to believe him. We need to believe him. There is a particular lie that many of us have believed at different times. And it goes something like this. Sounds so gospel. I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Does that sound good? Sounds kind of good, right? I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. But what I want to say is I don't believe that that is enough. Kind of quiet room right now. I would say the gospel says this. I am a sinner who has been saved by grace. What's the difference? difference is the judgment. Because I am not just a sinner saved by grace. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. What that says is that that's all you are. And, and in many ways, it fixes your identity around the justness of being a sinner. Around the weakness of being a sinner. And it doesn't point you to the glorious truth that in Jesus Christ, old things have passed away and new things have come. It, just, it doesn't point you to the reality that when the Holy Spirit changes your life and you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are a new creature and God sets you free from the law of sin and death. You don't have to listen to that voice anymore. Deception, deception, deception. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. You are one gloriously saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ and poured out by the Holy Spirit, you are enabled to live for God. That's what the Lord has called us to. That's what the Lord has called us to. Second scheme of the enemy here, seven common schemes. The second one is persistence. Somebody say persistence. He don't give up, y'all. The enemy doesn't stop quick. Nehemiah chapter 6 again, verses 3 and 4. 
Nehemiah 6, 3 and 4, he says, So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. It cannot, cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Look at verse 4. Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. If you're looking in your Bible, the, the first part of verse 5 says, Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message. Come on, White, help me out now. He just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. The lie keeps coming over and over and over again. The enemy doesn't stop easy and he doesn't stop quick. If he didn't stop for Nehemiah, if he didn't stop for Jesus, think about it. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and the Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that he was tempted all those times, three times, by the enemy. We also see it in Matthew chapter 4. He is tempted over and over again by the enemy. But in Luke 4, it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him, now listen to this, until an opportune time. He had tempted him and tempted him, and Jesus says, no, 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 devil, I'm not believing your word. This is what the word of God says. The word of God says this, this, and this. And he fought him, and he defeated him there. But the word says that he left him for an opportune time. The word that's used there is kairos, a kairos moment. Often when we look at that word kairos, we see the idea of something that is the perfect time at just the right time. It, it's fixed in such a way, this is a time that we're waiting for. But the Bible says that the devil left Jesus until a kairos moment. He's looking for just the right time. And brothers and sisters, I hope some of you can look back over this week and say, I defeated the devil here. He came here. I saw that scheme and I defeated him there. But know this, he's waiting for a kairos time to come to you again. He's not saying, well, I guess they just got me. I, there's nothing I can do against him. I, I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball, always have. The Phillies, Lord, help them. They need help. But I, I, I love baseball. But like in baseball, you are a great hitter. You are like a Hall of Fame caliber hitter. If you can get a hit once out of every three times to the plate, that means you have a 300 batting average. That is sustained excellence. But listen, the enemy comes, and he doesn't have to have a 300 batting average. He doesn't have to have a 100 batting average. He can come again and again and again, and you defeat him, and you stop him, and you, you thwart him here and there, but he's just looking for that time when he can bring you down. He comes over and over and over again. Remember years ago talking with a couple in uh, marital counseling, and they were talking about before they got married, and they had this deep desire to walk in purity before the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They said, We won't kiss before marriage. I'm like, Wow, that's pretty good. We're not going to be alone. We're, we're not even 
I'm not even going to hold her hand. Because that may, yeah, I heard that. Because that may lead to the next thing and the next thing. And they're like, we're going to be holy people. We're going to be pure people for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, that's great. What happened? Well, we got pregnant. And I realized you don't have to hold hands and you don't have to kiss. Look, the devil is just looking for the opportune time. No matter how well you thought you've done, at that opportune time, he can come in and wreak his havoc. He's persistent. What do we do with persistence? How do we overcome the enemy's persistence? Just a couple things real quick. Overcoming his persistence. Number one, stay in the gym. I'm not talking about aerobics and weightlifting right now. Stay in the gym of prayer. Stay in the gym of fasting. Stay in the gym of deep Christian fellowship. Why am I saying these things? Listen, you don't have to wait for the pastor or the church to proclaim a fast to know that you need to build fasting into your lifestyle. Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. So we need to build fasting into our lifestyle. Prayer needs to be a consistent thing in your life, not just before you eat some good food. But prayer needs to be the desperate cry of every believer to say, God, if you don't show up in my life today, I don't know what I do. But I know it won't be good. Lord, I need you. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And then standing and praying and kneeling and praying and seeking the face of God for others as well. We stand in the gap for God. You need to stay in the gym. And fellowship, listen, there's a lot of different ways of understanding the word fellowship. One way I heard it is it's two fellows in a ship. That's not what it means. Fellowship, koinonia, the Greek word, is getting in very close proximity with others in your life and sharing your life, sharing, participating in, and allowing others to participate in your life. We need to stay in the gym. The second thing we need to do to overcome the enemy, enemy's persistence is to remain in gospel-empowered rejoicing. And listen, what I'm saying in that is not that we don't lament. What I'm saying in that is not that we deny the hardship and the difficulty and the disappointment and the frustration and hurts of life. But what I am saying, and I'm saying it this way, not just rejoicing, but gospel-centered rejoicing. If you are a Christian, if you know the forgiveness that comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have something to rejoice about. Usually I write down a scripture reference. This one I just put Philippians, the whole book. It's just four chapters, but it's filled with rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. In the last chapter, verse 4 of chapter 4, Paul says, And again I say, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. 
How is he able to do that? He's writing this from prison. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. Likely he knows he's going to die. How does he say rejoice in the Lord always? And again I say rejoice because he is focused on the finished work of the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for me. I don't know what he's done for you, but I know what he has done for me. And I can have a lifetime of rejoicing and eternity will not stop me from rejoicing even more. We have so much to rejoice about in the finished work of Christ. Gospel-centered rejoicing, overcoming the persistence. The last thing I'm going to talk about today, the final scheme is slander and gossip. You know what? I'm not going to talk about slander and gossip this week. I'll talk about it next week. We're going to stop where I've just finished up at this point. The enemy comes. He deceives. The deception that he uses often looks so much like the truth that as a Christian, you're not careful, you can follow it home. Remember what I said before, that, that simple little lie with the just, I'm just. I'm just. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. No, you are not. You are much more than that. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are one who's been remade in the image and likeness of God. You are one if you have walked, if you know Christ, who has been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you have the Holy Ghost at work inside of you to overcome sin. That little, tiny, one-word, four-letter lie. Be aware. Be aware that He ain't giving up. He's coming. He's coming. He comes again. Here is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the enemy comes over and over again and waits for his kairos time, understand this, God's not waiting at all. He's always got you. He is with you always, the Bible says, Matthew 28, even to the very end of the age. He is as you recognize and realize his presence, you can and you will overcome in the name of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that although the enemy's schemes may seem great, may seem powerful, we thank you, Lord God, that you are more powerful that no one and nothing in heaven or under the earth or on the earth or even in our own flesh, nothing can stay your hand. So Lord, I pray that even this week as we go about our lives, we will understand this. We will be aware more of two things, the schemes of the enemy and the power of our great God. Lord, rise up in your people. Glorify your name in us. Glorify your name through us. Have your way, O oh God, we pray in all these things. 
Jesus' name.